Welcome to the Dog Training Audio Experience Podcast. This is the podcast where you are going to get a lot of value when it comes to learning more about dog training, dog behavior, and beyond. I'm your host, Erica Gonzalez. I'm a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant and the founder of From Dusk Till Dog. And with that, let's get into the podcast. Welcome. In today's episode, we are going to talk about all things you can do to help calm your dog down. So if you have a dog that gets a little overexcited or a lot overexcited, then this episode is for you. Here to help me chat about this topic is Curtis Kelly. He is a certified professional dog trainer and owner of Pet Parent Allies located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show, Curtis. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. I'm so excited. I know. I feel like everybody could benefit from knowing how to calm their dogs down. I know I definitely could have if I wasn't already a dog trainer. Yay for me that I kind of knew that, but I, I have a dog that needed this help. So I'm excited to chat about this. Yeah, I find a lot of clients, uh, this is very relevant information for them. Definitely, definitely. So uh, before, obviously, we're going to go over some tactics, we're going to cover some things that people can start trying. But before we get into specifics about all of that, what people can do to calm their dogs down or to help calm their dogs down, what are some situations? Like generally, what are some moments where you might be like, hey, it might be a good idea to start training your dog on this or helping your dog through this type of thing? Any situations you see a lot that people can kind of look out for? Yeah, absolutely. So some of the ones off the top of my head are people coming inside or outside doorways and uh, people suddenly appearing is a big one. Uh, The food uh, dish or the food enrichment toy um if you're a, if you're a fancy owner um is also a moment where dogs can get really really excited um and being able to calm that down get benefit um especially after of uh, active events like a training session or a walk or a play session being able to then come down and decide like okay we're done now i can like calmly is another great one um Uh, If you have a very social dog or a very uh, extroverted dog, then working up to the event of like sitting with them with with a coffee shop or at a happy hour could be another time when it's great to have them with you, but you want them to calmly lay next to you instead of running and jumping and pulling over to any person they see. Yes, Uh, as I like to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another great one is simply when they are getting cranky. Uh, ah, many yes. many dogs have trouble with uh, understanding when they should calm down. This is this was one of them. I love Vista. <laughs> oh my gosh! That, is that Vista? That was Vista. Oh, adorable. She brings her toy as kind of an offering, like, look, I've brought my toy for you. Yeah. Now you come with me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So adorable. And Freddie's very good at that uh, game as well with me. So, uh, yeah, those are some really great examples. And you've almost you've almost left me with none to add. But I was going to say um, there's one other moment I feel like that might be useful, which is like, you kind of said it, but you know, the cranky thing or these moments where I feel like people don't, there's really nothing necessarily happening, 
where this throws people off, where their dog all of a sudden just like, bah, and starts to get all, and you're like, what the hell happened? We were just sitting here, um, especially with like younger puppies or adolescent dogs. We see that a lot. I'm sure you can agree with that. But yeah, like those random one-off like wild card moments are usually the toughest because I think the other ones make more sense to individuals of like, all right, we just played or we just did this. And I like how you touched on after playtime, after training, after we're like really engaging with our dogs and then all of a sudden we're like, all right, we're done. No more <laughs> engagement. They're like, oh no. And they're still up high. And I, I call that almost like if you're running on a treadmill or you're working out in some fashion, it's a quote unquote cool down time is our bodies need that. And I think dogs are extremely similar in that regard, especially with all the attention that they're getting from us. So I love those examples. And I'm sure there's a million more we can probably think of with dogs and their people, but those are some good basic ones. I think people are, can relate to that happen. Um, I know there's a ton of skills as trainers that we kind of have on our list to walk people through when they're gonna start working on this of, okay, my dog's getting a little overexcited. What do I do here? What should I start working on? What are your top two skills? And I know it probably depends on the dog, of course. It's always depends upon, I feel like, with our job. But if you had to pick two top skills that people can focus on, teaching their dogs, help promote calm behaviors and kind of promote down-regulating, as we call it as well, what, what would you recommend? What's on your list? Yeah, so my top two cues uh, that parents can teach their dogs uh, is one, a simple downstay if they don't already know it. Um, and I was considering saying place, um, but I picked downstay instead because downstay can be done anywhere, whereas yeah. place is usually to a very specific location. So if you're outside and you need your dog to come down, if you don't have your mat, downstay will certainly suffice. Yeah. And uh, the other one that I really like is a simple cue for go sniff or sniff that or just think with your nose for a second because the action of sniffing and really inhaling and uh, gathering information that way for dogs is a, a excellent way for them to naturally calm themselves down. Um, and I've found in a lot of situations doing them back to back. So if a dog is too excited for laying in one spot for a while, then yeah. having directing them to just sniff around for a few minutes, uh, maybe make their motion a little slower, their, their breaths a little longer and more extended, then gets them ready for that nice good downstay. I love that. It's almost like I, I call it chopping up. You're like chopping up the moment. Like, all right, do the downstay, get paid for that. Great job. Now go sniff, go do that. All right, let's come back and do a downstay. I love doing those kind of chopping up moments because to expect your dog to be able to downstay on the first couple tries is obviously going to be difficult. So I like kind of having that do it real quick, get paid, then go do this other thing that's easy as well. And then we'll revisit it. So I, I love that. And I like that you distinguish between place and downstay. Obviously your dog is doing a downstay when they're on a place, like you mentioned, but we are not kind of in that specific place that we need the dog to go walk over to so they could kind of do it anywhere, which I do think is an advantage. And I will say, I'm curious to hear your experience with this. I have found just for me that 
when we when I teach place before a downstay versus teaching downstay first, I've done both. But some dogs I find actually do a little better with having a target visually with a place, even if like you know it takes another step for the pet parent to kind of have it out. But do you find that in your experience? Because I've always thought that that was quite interesting. I I always saw a larger majority of the dogs I worked with were actually better if we did the place, because something visual about it just kind of was like, all right, I know what to do on there. Then if we just tried to have them downstay, have you ever experienced that? I'm kind of throwing in this question separate, but I wanted to know that. Yeah. So uh, for me, I've kind of found it depended upon the surface area. Ah, so because like, and place is usually a like nice, comfy, cushy, multi-layered bed filled with like bedding or padding or memory foam um that the like having that material in and of itself was helpful for getting the downstay if there if there wasn't a thing then just laying a towel or a blanket which then effectively becomes a place um was helpful for getting uh for getting the dog to learn it um i'm so glad you said that about the surface i because i that's a problem i always see and i'm glad we're mentioning it on this podcast because it is harder for most dogs to lie down on a hard surface and want to relax there than if they're on a towel a bed something a pad of some kind even one of your welcome mats so your indoor mats by the front door in the kitchen we all know dogs that just kind of naturally go sit on the mat yeah even if we didn't train it that way in that room so great note so if you guys at home are working on this having some type of, you know, a little comfier area, regardless if you're doing place or just a regular downstay, both very good options, but you're going to have a harder time if you're trying to ask them to do it on the hard tile. Yeah. And bonus. I wouldn't. Ugh, nobody. (laughs) I need soft and plush for me. (laughs) That is the way to go. (laughs) Um, But yeah. All right. So so a downstay and then like a, a, a go sniff type of cue. I do yeah. find it's a lot as well, which is basically the same thing, which is like I toss a piece of food and I'm like, go find it. And they'll run and go get it. I use that a lot to help just calm the dogs down when someone's coming in or things like yep. that. So I think these are fairly easy for people to do. Um, anything else with the skill sets you wanted to elaborate on or add to that at all? So I do like uh, like kind of chopping it up and giving a easy find it and then an easy stay, easy find it. I've also found that setting up, uh, even if it's just two segments of like, here, do some sniffing for a couple minutes and then go into a long down stay. Mm-hmm. And as much as you need to pay it to have the, uh, to have that dog, just lay there in that one spot even if it's a treat every 10 seconds for the first couple minutes can really help them get calmed down and centered uh very quickly than they would uh otherwise so i like both methods i love that because it's it's gonna help them kind of our timing matters so i always say the faster dog the faster dog you have and you we all know like freddie is fast, fast, fast. He's like a small squirrel running around. And then I have my pit bull Jade, who's kind of like, whoa, like she's kind of your like in her movement. <laughs> I'm gonna apologize because somebody is building a house next to our house. So enjoy the lovely construction music, background music I have today. Um, but yeah, like 
Freddie's faster paced. So when I'm training him, I need to be faster paced. Unfortunately for people who have this at home, this problem, you have to kind of match your dog's levels with that. And we're delayed. We're going to kind of be missing it. Do your best, but just know up the ante if your dog's kind of Mr. You know, the flash, so to speak. Um, and then you can obviously go a little slower if your dog's a little slower moving, but timing's going to be important. So I love that you touched on that, Curtis, because if your dog's in a down, just to give you an example for those listening, if I have a dog who's just learning this and we're trying to help them calm down, I ask them to lie down. It'll literally sound like this. Yes. Treat them. Yes. 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 Good boy. Yes. Like that's how quick um, in the beginning. And then as your dog does well, obviously you could slow it down where, you know, there's more time in between your yeses or your clicks, whatever you're utilizing to mark the behavior, but just go at the dog's pace, <laughs> try to match them as difficult as that may sound. Sometimes it's going to work to your benefit. Lovely. Um, all right, cool. So I think most people don't think about this, whether it's a puppy an adult dog, they've just got the dog, they've had the dog for six years. This is something I feel in my experience over the years that most people are not thinking of, not aware of, and are not um, aware of the impact it has on all of the dog's behavior. But obviously we're talking about down-regulating today and kind of calming the dog down. So in your in your expert opinion, Curtis, what how does sleep schedule and, and when the dog's sleeping and how, how they're doing that and what their routine is with sleep affect their overall calmness? What are your feelings on that? Yeah, I think that has a enormous impact on the dog's ability to regulate in actually both directions in how far up they go and how level they can stay as they're up and how well down they can go. Mm -hmm. uh, since most dogs are... Uh, Dusk, uh, dusk and twilight uh, animals. They're awake most during uh, sunset and sunrise. Mm -hmm. uh, that's an important thing to consider in when you want, when you're looking for them to do something active versus when you want them to be calm. Trying to have your puppy who's five months uh, calm down right at five to seven oh is a tall order that I Good would luck. not want. Yeah, exactly. Um, so knowing uh, knowing their circadian rhythm will ha have be a big impact in how well they can calm themselves down, both in an acute situation and generally how where their energy levels go, and. Uh, knowing that they uh, cycle up at sunrise and then come down and rest during what's typically the hottest part of the day in the afternoon and then cycle up again um, helps give you more direction about where they're, uh, when they should be up and active and when you can more reasonably ask them to be calm. And a dog that is not sleeping on that nice kind of like up, down, even rhythm throughout the day um, there might be some other environmental issues to look into, or a dog that is sleeping too much, or a dog that can't sleep enough, um, both of them might indicate there's something not quite right, something that needs to be addressed. That's important because I think we can relate to that, right? With humans, us, if we're not sleeping well, or we're up all night and have insomnia, or we're getting really tired at 
lunchtime in the middle of the day out of nowhere, you know, we're going to start going, hmm, something's going on. Is it, what else is happening in my life that's causing me to be very tired or very awake all the time? So I, that's so important. I'm glad that you brought up other factors. So uh, I also want to point out that, you know, I have a lot of clients that their puppy, they're, 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 you know, they have a family, there's kids around and there's, you know, four or five people in the home and you know the puppy is trying to sleep or the dogs even if it's an adult dog trying to get some rest because dogs do sleep a lot and especially puppies are sleeping the majority of the day especially if they're younger that every time we get up or open a door or go grab a snack bag and the dog hears that they're waking up, they're waking up, especially now with what we've been all going through over the last year and a half with being home a lot. I find that dogs are not getting the sleep that they would normally get. So just, I would even say really paying attention to if your dog is shadowing you around the house, like Freddie does for me, um, and Jade does it too, but definitely more so Mr. Freddie. And you know, if, if you think your dog's not getting enough sleep, really trying to schedule in some alone time for them. So maybe in another area of the house, as long as they don't have, you know, anxiety being alone, that's a whole another episode, but, you know, put them away, let them rest for a little while, come back in when, you know, you think they've gotten ample rest and then they can go play again or whatnot, but really prioritizing their just quality of sleep and what, what they're up to is going to help your training. It's going to help your dog's overall just day to day, their well-being and everything else. Sleep's important. We all know that. And Absolutely. I'm definitely cranky if I'm not getting enough sleep. I am too. And I love that, uh, that mention of uh, just scheduled, quiet and alone time. Yes. We actually, I ran into when Vista was between five and seven months, we uh, found ourselves getting stuck a lot around in and around the house because she'd be up, she'd wander around, she'd get tired enough to where she was stumbling. She'd finally collapse. And then if we got up, she'd be up again and start the whole cycle over. So wherever she landed, we just, and uh, we'd be like, okay, we're here for another half hour or so. Move. Like nobody move, nobody get up. If you got to pee too bad, you can hold it. Hold it in. It's like a baby that finally fell asleep. You're like, yeah, exactly. No one make a sound. Don't please, <laughs> don't do anything. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's true. We really want to be careful with that. And I'm, I'm glad we both have stories to share about that. I really have to be on Freddie because he'll, just leap off of the couch. He'll be dead asleep. And if I get up and he hears my footsteps, he'll leap off the couch and like rush over um, and want to know what I'm up to. So I have to sometimes close the door behind me. And then I know he just kind of stays. So those little factors using management like that in all, all forms of training and everything you're doing is great, but that's a little form of management that, that, you know, those listening can keep in mind about. Um, and set timers, by the way, like I think we're all busy. We're all running around with our heads cut off half the time about where we're, where we're going, what's coming up next and, you know, working from home and everything that people are going through, just kind of being aware of when the, when the dog needs to go down for a nap, almost like a baby, or, you know, what time is good for them to start waking up. So they're not oversleeping, um, you know, getting up, setting an alarm. So that way you're aware of it while you're busy doing your life stuff. Um, and then, so I wanted to hear as well, Curtis, your thoughts on capturing calms. This is something I've spoken a lot with 
uh, when I'm speaking like group classes and I kind of have a group of people, it does become a theme I hear of, well, how do we capture calm? You know, aside from this proactive stuff, like working on downstays, working on place, working on, you know, go sniff and other things to help the dog downregulate there. I know this happens organically. So I try to tell people, depending on the dog, which we'll talk about, you know, there's ways of just organically capturing that your dog is lying down on their bed or isn't flying around the house going nuts, barking at everything or whatever. So what are your general thoughts on quote unquote, capturing the calmness versus proactively trying to promote it? Yeah. And I think this is something that every dog likes a different system. Uh, And while some dogs will love if they lay down on your bed and you go and give them a little treat, it will also get them too excited again. So for some dogs, uh, you can just offer a calm little like treat, kibble, Mm -hmm. just some kind of little like not super exciting snack. Um, for some dogs, uh, praise is acceptable where as long as your, your voice doesn't go so excited, uh, cause I also have had clients like, uh, tell me about like, oh, my dog like finally went down and then I cheered and got really excited. Yeah, like, oh God, I'm awake. Excited. Um, so some dogs, uh, you can give just a calm, like, yes, that's good. Mm-hmm. Just like nice, even, level, neutral voice. Sound like Um, your home device. I won't mention any names so they don't go off here, but like very like neutral, encouraging, but calm. Yeah, exactly. Um, And even if you have a, if you find your dog is not sleeping per se, but is calmly laying just like, uh, just around and alert, um, that's also a situation in which I found Uh, For some dogs, it can be helpful to then present them with a special gift. So if they get a bone or Kong or rawhide or chew, uh, uh, because many dogs I know are smart enough to wait until they see it come out until they go and do that thing. But then it's not actually about being calm. It's about trying to work and get their bully stick or their raw or their uh, or their bone. Yeah. Um, so waiting until they've actually gone and chosen by themselves to go and lay calmly on their bed uh, to then bring out that that reward can that also. Is, I love that you said that because I think that's where patterns come into play. Of you go and hear the, they hear the crinkle or they hear you getting the kong out of the freezer. You know, my dogs know all that. Dogs aren't dumb. They're very aware of what we're about to do and. They'll, then they'll run over and be like, I'm on my bed, give it to me, lady. They're just waiting for me, very, very excited. So, and that's totally fine. And, uh, you know, that's fine. But to your point, if we're trying to promote that calmness, it might be a good idea to kind of see if they organically are already doing that. And then we get up to go, you know, grab that and give it to them. Um, and to add to that kind of capturing the calm, because I have a personal anecdote, I think those will find maybe humorous and maybe can relate to it with uh, with Freddie. He's a, well, my wonderful example, we're talking about how to calm dogs down. So sorry, Jade's not gonna get a lot of airtime today. She's naturally a pretty calm dog. So, you know, with Freddie, and when we got him, he had a lot of, lot of issues, wasn't ever trained. I mean, I could just tell it was a little bit of a mess. He was cute and loved people and that was about the range that he had so we had to work on a lot of different things but he gets almost like you were saying some dogs if we start bringing food out 
he almost acts like he hasn't never been fed. It's like he's mm-hmm. never eaten before and he's going to die if he doesn't get a piece of the popcorn I'm eating or whatever. So I had to work with him on a ton of other patients, things and kind of just stimulus control around food. And he does very, very well now and is very good boy, well-mannered around that. But I will say when I'm trying to capture calm, it is very hard for me to utilize food in that way because he does... Even if he's lying there, I know he's very excited still. So I want to say two things to that. I have utilized that calm, encouraging praise when he is lying down. And I'll be like, oh, good boy. Nice job. I don't go above that because if I go, nice job, he's like, oh, I am a good boy. And he jumps (laughs) off. So you want to be delicate to that. But I'll, I'll tell you, like, he'll be very calm. And I'll even say that very calmly. And I see his tail go a little. Like, he's very movement. He's just a very outgoing guy with that stuff. So I use praise. That works great. And I will say, let's say I'm eating popcorn. This happens a lot. I love my popcorn. And so we're watching a show. Freddie's there. He's psyched. My dogs love popcorn. Jade, uh, we say, lay as if dead. She lays on her side and will not move. She's like a statue. And that's her way of kind of, quote unquote, hoping she gets the food, uh, which is great. I'll take it. But Freddie kind of sits nearby and he'll do this like sit pretty thing. And he'll just stare at you like that. And it's really, really uncomfortable when you're trying to get uh, So what I did with him was I would purposely set up training where I would get the popcorn, sit down. I'd watch a show I've seen a million times. So I'm not caring. And in the corner of my eye, at some point, he'll kind of, he'll lie down and he almost starts to give up a little bit in the nicest way. Cause I haven't moved. I haven't said anything to him. I'm just eating and watching, but I'm watching him in the corner of my eye. And he finally lies down and I don't even mark it. So I don't even say yes. I don't praise him. I just remove any other stimuli there about it. And I just will eat, eat, eat. And then I'll just, when I see him do it in the corner of my eye, I'll, I'll talk one down and I won't move my body. I look like I just accidentally might've dropped it. He eats it, he gets a little bit excited, and then I see him go right back into the down again, and he kind of starts to relax. And I have found that now he'll get to that point pretty quickly, and he is still very excited, but his body looks pretty calm, and for him, it's the calmest I'm going to get with with using food. So sometimes just politely ignoring your dog until they're kind of almost like, okay, this isn't happening for me right now. And that's when the food comes out. That's another little tricky thing that may work for some of these dogs. Like it works for Freddie. Yeah. The ignoring was really, uh, really the way to go for Vista. She, uh, we, she often works with my wife as she teaches yoga Mm -hmm. and, but for the longest time she would lay down probably count a minute or two Mm -hmm. and still be very intently watching very intently and then upon deciding she wasn't rewarded fast enough for Mm -hmm. her very good offer of a nice good calm down Mm -hmm. would then get up and start stomping around again um and trying to like move blocks around and just being fairly intentionally in the way yeah. Uh, so as to communicate to us, like, hey, I did it, and you didn't pay me good enough. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> so now you have to bring a treat out to pay me again. Yeah. So for Vista, the solution ended up being almost a straight ignore, yep. where any marking, and she'd be up again and like, oh, well, it's time to work. 
you have a job for me i'm ready to work um any any food came out and it would be kind of the same response even even praise a couple times we tried it and in the lowest possible like that's so good and she was up and just whirling around again uh so for vista the solution ended up being a just sheer outpatience yeah Sometimes that works. And, and, you know, I think too, less is more when, you know, if we're trying to promote calmness, we also have to be kind of like boring and calm as well when we're interacting with our dogs here, because if I'm working on coming when called, I'm going to be like, whoa, yeah, like very outgoing and, and really kind of out there with it and sounding excited. If you're trying to do the opposite, I sound the opposite barely saying anything very like oh good job and even maybe even if that if anything with freddie sometimes i'm not even saying anything so really uh, i think the good point to take away from that too is just knowing your dog and knowing okay this is too much for him or her and this is this is better and and adjusting based on the dog that you're working with because i'm going to approach it a lot differently with jade than i'm going to approach it with freddie I can talk really excited to Jade and she's just like, okay. And she's, there. she's like, I don't care. Uh, that's cool. How cute. And then that's it. So I could do that with her and I know not to do that with Freddie. So, uh, all right, cool. I'm glad we got to touch on that because capturing calm is something that we can, we can focus on as dog parents and, and try to further doing that. That might not be proactive training, might be organic. So <clears throat> I wanted to add this for today's discussion because I over the years have dealt with a lot of behavioral cases and that was a lot of what I was doing for the last latter half of my career is just behavior work and, and anxiety issues and you know aggression and all sorts of stuff and something a common theme that I saw a lot not with all of the cases but with a lot of the cases is there's a lot of dogs that have not to label, but we need to say something so people understand, but hyper arousal issues where I would go into someone's home and the dog would be uh, immediately, you know, jumping all over me, mouthing me a little bit all over my arms, you know, wide eyed, tongue hanging out, breathing heavy. They seem very, you know, they've never bitten anybody. They don't show like aggressive behaviors, but it's looking a little bit, a little bit much. And I think some pet parents, obviously they're not professional dog trainers. I don't, I don't think they should know this, but they don't understand that. And they'll be like, oh, he's so excited. You know, he just loves when Aunt Millie comes over and just rolls all over and can't help himself. And I think sometimes people can mistake over excitement for what I, and I'm sure you would label as like a hyper arousal overstimulated type of situation where it could be a separate issue. And I just want to take a moment to discuss and address the differences between hyperarousal overstimulation and excitement. So a dog, I'll, I'll say this last thing, and then I want to hear from you, Curtis, but I would say there's regular excitement, which is per, I, you know, person walks in, dogs wagon, you know, jello like body language, wiggly jiggly, they might jump up on you a little bit, they might bark a little bit, they're excited, great. Then there's a little bit, you know, maybe there's overexcited. So the dog's doing all that and jumping a little bit more, barking a little bit more, you know, really going for it. And then hyperarousal is like they're 
very lovingly, but like mauling you at the door and like biting at your clothes and like their eyes are wide, wide open. And it's looking a little bit concerning for me as a trainer there. So what are your feelings over the two? And I'd love to hear kind of your, your take on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, so for me, <clears throat> the, the height, when a dog is stepping into more of a hyper aroused state, it, it kind of signals a loss of, of conscious thought. Yes. They kind of like, they have, they have lost control of themselves. They have lost like ability to like move and think about what they're doing yep. um, versus the overexcitement is, uh, I feel more just a, more just a like exuberant, uh, exuberant like greeting or exuberant, interaction with something where they still they maybe be a little like a little more like bouncy or like a little more like jumpy than you would like but they still there's still some thought uh going the correct direction in their brain um whereas uh hyper arousal i think also signifies uh kind of a, a focus difference where they've gotten so so focused on just like jumping up or uh if they're having a negative reaction on like barking and lunging um that it's a very singularly pointed focus where like their entire existence revolves around whatever thing there there is they're reacting to whereas an overexcitement i feel is also kind of a little bit more diffuse where they might be like jumping and waggling and dancing around, but maybe like bouncing between people or uh, like moving a lot uh, kind of in a circle or a figure eight. Like there's still, it's, it's spread out more. Um, and I've also found that like a dog can be hyper aroused and standing perfectly still. Very, very true. I'm glad that you said that doesn't always have to look a certain way to be a certain way. Yeah. Uh, so so I, uh, I draw the line at hyper arousal is a, a like kind of total loss of conscious control mm-hmm. um, and a very like singularly pointed focused energy. Yeah. And, and I like using like weird human analogies for things. So it's almost like, you know, uh, it's almost like someone who has had a little too much to drink. Yeah. You can't have like a nice in-depth conversation with them right now, you know, and, you know, we have to sober up a bit to be able to have that conversation at a better time. Or if somebody is really panicked or has, you know, they have a, a, a spurt of anxiety and they are having a panic moment. That's not the time to have, they're not in the right space to think through and process information and take in information properly. Um, and same thing goes for hyperarousal. <coughs> Excuse me, we this today as well on this podcast. So, uh, but yeah, so I'm glad that we got to go over those differences. And I would say, you know, if your dog seems uncontrollably quote unquote excited, then we might be more in the bucket of hyperarousal where full disclosure, hyperarousal to me as a trainer in the nicest way is concerning where a dog who's overexcited, yeah, we need to work on it or whatever if they want to work on jumping or whatever it is, but I'm not concerned where a dog who's 
who's, you know, having hyperarousal stuff that they're displaying, I'm usually more concerned where I'm like, okay, this, this could lead to something else because they aren't thinking and that's a problem. When an animal with sharp teeth or might be big or might be around kids, and I'm not saying they're going to like kill anybody or whatever, but that's an issue if they're not processing information when a stranger walks in or you have small children around or a guest is over or whatever, you're out. So we want to really be aware of that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think hyperarousal uh, in itself suggests um, some additional uh, management techniques right. or or barriers um, toward doing specific actions. Whereas an overexcitement, I, yeah, I would say usually in a training sense can be handled with um, some redirection or um, some incompatible behaviors right. uh, versus the hyperarousal is where you really start to need like, okay, something needs to be like between this. Yeah. Like this your dog. dog needs to be behind the gate now. Like yeah. time to try to train them right in this moment. That's, yeah. That's good. I, I'm actually going to say one more thing with that because you just raised that point for me in my head where, you know, management, aside from everything we're talking about today with what to train and what to consider and what to look for, management plays a huge role in any training program, in my opinion. And, you know, if you're training something, if your dog is really hyper aroused, if you're not sure how your dog is going to act in any type of situation, always start with management if you're not sure or you don't know how to handle it yet and you're waiting to hire a professional dog trainer to come and help you, which I highly recommend if you are concerned about this stuff. Um, but having your dog behind a gate, now your dog can't jump all over Aunt Millie and mouth at her sweater and potentially scratch your six-year-old nephew or whatever is going on. Because the more your dog is practicing doing that, the more pissed off you're going to be and upset and frustrated and feeling sad about it. And your dog's practicing the thing that we're trying to decrease and hopefully eliminate at some point if possible. So management is a huge thing. And don't feel defeated if you have to put your dog behind the gate. It's actually all dog trainers would be very thrilled to hear that you're doing that. <laughs> At least the good one, any good one, I feel like is going to be like, yes, that's great. Um, so management, management, management is always a safe choice if you're not sure how to handle things. So thank you for that, Curtis. I love the management point there. We can add in at the last minute here. So final question. I, I wanted to, I, I kind of like asking, you know, misconceptions, misunderstandings, myths about things like, and this isn't necessarily a hugely controversial topic or anything like that, but what do you feel is a, a common misunderstanding or something that people perceive uh, wrong or, or not in the best way when it comes to the topic of teaching dogs to calm down? Yeah, one thing that I uh, find a lot of people run into is that if your goal is for is for your dog to calm down that a lot of people I think get this idea that the dog must be responding to every single cue about sit and down and stay and go sniff and uh, like all of these things where it's really a moment as the human to step back and say is the dog calmer than he was like a minute ago or five minutes ago or even like 15 seconds ago, if the if the thing that he was excited about has left. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's a, 
uh, it's a practical misunderstanding in how hands-on people need to be about getting their dog to calm down after an exciting event or just in general. Um, a lot of people uh, that I have been working with have gone, like have gotten maybe like 20 seconds into a downstay and then the dog gets up and they go, no, this, oh, everything is wrong. <laughs> what are you doing? And I go, it's fine. If they need to stand up and like shift around for a bit for 15 seconds, yeah. we would just get them back and have them go down. Yeah. Also, they're not going to learn how to do this on the very first time of practicing. Exactly. It takes, it takes, uh, consistent effort over a period of weeks sustained before a dog really builds those neural pathways to be able to calm themselves down without needing the encouragement. I love that. Yeah, people get, I don't blame them. You know, they have a high bar. They're trying to get their dogs to do it. But I always say like have have really low expectations in a great way. Like obviously we want all these things, but if you set the bar really low, you won't be like, oh God, it got off, you know, and be really, really feeling defeated because as dog trainers, we know, well, hey, you just did it for 20 seconds. Like, I know we got up at the end, but the 20 seconds was amazing. You know, like yeah. focusing on what we just accomplished rather than, okay, it's over now and now it sucks and the training's done. Um, it, it's part of the process, like you're getting at with that. Um, I, I, and so I would say, that's a great point. I think another kind of misunderstanding, if you will, that people have with this is it, it, it really can be quite simple because I think sometimes it can feel, oh my gosh, I have to do all this training or, oh my gosh, I, I don't know how to handle all this. My dog's crazy. You know, they feel like their dog's nuts or whatever during these moments. And I tell people, hey, you, it could be as simple as, let's say you're in the process of teaching your dog a downstay, or you're in the process of teaching them what go sniff means or, or go find it. Or let's say your dog gets so excited that they don't even care about the food that you have in your hands, because that happens. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's we, it's something as simple as having something really special, you know, peanut butter in a Kong, I don't care if you put raw meat in a con. I don't care. Whatever you think your dog can handle and that you like or that you feed your dog, it could be their food. Anything you know that's going to get their attention, that they're going to really, really enjoy or something special. Person comes in, you could have your dog behind a gate or on a leash in another room or away from the door and see if maybe they want to engage with the Kong for a few minutes on the floor or see if you, you know, they love playing tug with this particular toy and they just go nuts for it. And again, I'm not saying this isn't helping them down regularly if we're doing like tug in that moment, but I'm getting at a misunderstanding of like, if, we're, if they're not trained yet to do it, you can find other things with a toy, a food puzzle, redirection, other things, management, like we talked about, that can still help you not get the behavior we're getting away from, which is like jumping on the guest in this example. But even something like chewing on a bully stick or chewing on a Kong is calming for them. And it's not really like we're doing a bunch of training. It's just, hey, Aunt Millie came in. Let's see if my dog will walk over here into the other room and, and chew on this peanut butter thing. Because a lot of dogs will. Now, this isn't a recipe for success for every single dog on the planet, but it is something people can try that I think it doesn't have to be super complex. It could be as easy as like, hey, do this instead and chew on this. You're going to love it. And they might lie down and chew on it and be amazed. 
that Aunt Millie walked all the way in, sat down. The dog's like, great, Aunt Millie, sorry, I'm going to choose the Kong today. And, and people, I've had that happen with clients right away and they're like amazed and they've just never thought to try something. And it's very simple. So I just want to add, we can keep it very simple. And, and all these tactics were pretty, pretty attainable, but I wanted to add that to it. Uh, and lastly, I have a lot to say about this apparently, but last thing I wanted to say about that was, you know, it, it's, I think you kind of went on this too, is like, it doesn't mean your dog has to like comply with every single thing we're saying. And like, again, having such a high bar for what calmness means and just kind of if it's a little bit better, we're going for better, not perfect. I know a lot of us trainers say those types of phrases to our clients, but you're just looking for it to be less crappy than before. That's the barometer we're using. So if it's less crappy, you're doing a great job. And just the, as you go, it should get less and less crappy during that moment. And then, you know, you're on the right track. If it's getting worse, then obviously we need to change something. But as long as it's, you know, getting even, even 5%, 10% better, that's great. Five or 10% increase on something of an improvement is a good improvement. So we just have to build on it. So be patient, take your time, be empathetic. Your dog's doing the best they can. And it's not the worst problem in the world that they're excited and happy and trying to, you know, be excited in your home. No, an excited a dog who's excited to see a stranger is uh, lovely, I think. I'll take it. <laughs> there, are, there are way worse directions that could go. Right. Um, right. And I, what I am also always telling people is that progress is never linear. If you if you look at this day and tomorrow and like the next day, then you have very little information, right. especially as like I like nobody's no person's mood is the same day to day to day to day. Mm -hmm. um, so just accepting that when you look on a scale of a month or two months, then you have less like less days that you're unhappy with right. or days that you are unhappy with are still better than how they were um or you might even have a surprise moment where your dog did the thing and you didn't have to say it um but the, like expecting for it to be a straight nice even line is just not a reasonable expectation for really any living organism exactly life doesn't work that way folks life doesn't work that way and so embracing and i try to share this on my page all the time like my dogs aren't perfect and i like that we share things that you know you were sharing what happens with vista and how you work through it and i was sharing with freddie you know even dog trainers have issues we're working through and training that we're doing and you know, it isn't this like we get to a certain point in our training where it's like, all right, we're never working on this again. I'm never worried about it. And my dog's programmed like, like a microwave setting, you know, so it's totally okay. If your dog's not perfect, we're not perfect. We are just trying to do the best that we can to get through these things in life in general with our dogs. So I'm glad that we can end on that note of just having an understanding with our dogs that just as imperfect as we are and just as our day-to-day -day differs and we do our best, same thing for our dogs. They're doing the best they can here. So awesome. Curtis, this was great. I'm so glad we got to talk through this. I know people are going to be thrilled to hear about how they can calm their dogs down and try some of this stuff at home. But before we go, I want you to let everyone listening know how they can connect with you and any projects you're up to or things you're offering, anything that they can look out for. Absolutely. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at 
pet parent education underscore cpdtka. Uh, you can go to my website at petparentallies.com. Um, or if you're in the Philly area and you see a purple shirt walking around, feel free to come and come and say hi. Oh, I love that. So check Curtis out. Um, and I'll have, I'll have our Instagrams up so they can follow you through and Curtis, this was great. I'm so glad we were able to connect on this. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And again, for those listening, treat yourself and treat your dogs. If you like what you hear on this podcast or find any value in my content online, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash from dusk till dawn. And as they say, that's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope you found some value in it. And if you did, please consider giving us some positive reinforcement and leave us a review. If you'd like to connect with me online, go ahead and give me a follow at From Dusk Till Dog on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, or Facebook. Or you can visit our website at FromDuskTillDog.com. And until next time, take care and talk soon.